The Online Marketing Show. Every day with Joseph Bushnell. Helping you to grow your online business by driving more traffic, improving conversion rates, increasing customer value, and getting things done fast. Listen, take action, make money. Hi, welcome to the Online Marketing Show. I'm your host, Joey Bushnell. Today, I'm joined by one of the world's top copywriters. His name is Colin Terrio. Colin is the leader of Facebook's most popular copywriting group, The Cult of Copy. You can join by going to cultofcopy.com. Colin, thank you so much for being on the call with me today. My pleasure, Joey. Thank you for having me. Colin, how did you become a copywriter? Um, it's a funny story. A lot of the people uh, that I meet in copywriting um, that are interested in sort of following in my footsteps will ask me, you know, how did you get started? What do you recommend? And for me, uh, I was working at a marketing company as sort of, uh, I could call it web monkeying. I was just sort of, you know, you need graphics, you need some HTML, you need a little JavaScript, you know, where it set up this hosting account, just sort of whatever they needed. And I can't remember if the writer was sick or if she was just busy with other projects. But uh, the guy running that company, Andy Jenkins, uh, said, you know, hey, do we have anybody working here who can volunteer? Because we were really small. This was at a company called Stompernet. Uh-huh. Very aware um, of it. Uh, I'm not sure if they're still around, but at the time I was there uh, in 2007, it was it was a pretty big deal. Mm-hmm. Um Anyway, uh, he asked, you know, who do we have working here that could volunteer? And we were really small at the time. We only had like five employees. So I just volunteered because that's the kind of person I am, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess it was pretty good because Andy Jenkins said, hey, this is good. Do you like it? And I said, sure. He said, okay, we'll get good at it because you're the new uh, chief marketing copywriter <laughs> for Sofranet. Cool. So uh, for the next three years, I worked there writing all their blog posts, all their emails, all their uh, – at least a draft of the sales letter. I can't say I wrote like the final version while working there just because they had so many good marketers on staff. Mm-hmm. So everybody sort of got to weigh in, but I wrote the drafts. Yeah. So if you sort of look at it, I had uh, the advantage of some of the best – marketers on the internet at that time looking over my work and telling me how to get better. So I did that for about three years, and then uh, the the guys who owned that company sort of split up and went their own way, and I figured that was a good time for me to uh, check out and, and start doing my own thing. And uh, from there, I, I continued to work with Jenkins. We did uh, a Video Boss together, and we did uh, Kajabi together. Wow, and I've just been doing my own thing since. So, sort of, just accidental. I was in the right place at the right time to volunteer mm-hmm. for what I I didn't realize that I wasn't part of the internet community, an internet internet marketing community at the time. So, mm-hmm. when I was working at Stompernet, it was just a job. Yeah. I didn't re- I didn't realize we were like the top yeah. of the period at that particular time. So, it was one of those things where I was just in the right place at the right time, and then I spent a lot of time doing it every day. So that by the time I went freelance, I was already at least as good at it as any professional that had been doing it for three years. That's a cool story. I wasn't actually aware of that. So back in the early days of when I was getting into internet marketing in about 2007, 2008, Stompernet was one of the big things at the time. Uh, so you probably sold to me and I wasn't even aware of it, Colin. It's quite possible. For a large a large portion of my career, no one knew that I was the one writing the things that were selling people. So. Awesome. 
So now we know a little bit about you. During this call, I'd love to ask you some questions about how we can improve our copywriting. So my first question is, how do you work out the nature of someone's problem so that then you can know how to write to that person? Um, I sort of do a little bit of research. I try to look for places where people who are interested in the niche enough to discuss it with each other are very likely the kind of people that would buy information about that topic, right? If, if, if they're having conversations online, they are expressing an interest enough to actually create content. They might not think of it like that. Most people don't think, hey, I'm posting on a forum. They don't think of it as creating content, but they are. Yeah. So I, I figure if they're willing enough to sit there and type out a bunch of stuff about this topic, they're probably the kind of people that would buy info. So I, I look for places like that, Facebook groups, forums, and I just try and uh, uh, get a grasp of what they're talking about as the problem. Okay. And then once I sort of know that, then I'll I'll look at the product. I, I try to not look at the product first because I feel like it, it sort of puts me inside a box and limits my thinking. Yeah. And even when I look at the product, I'll only sort of get a description of what it is and what it's meant to, to help with. Mm-hmm. Um, because I like to write at least the first draft, and again, it's just about not putting myself in a box. So a lot of times, I'll write a first draft without ever actually seeing the product. I'm just working off of my imagination of what the product is based on what the person who made it described it as. So a lot of times, we'll do an editing pass afterwards because I'll have I'll have over imagined it. I'll have you know given it credit for being something that it's not quite. But I find that's better to over-imagine it and then sort of rein it back in than starting out knowing exactly what it is and not really being able to, to get that big idea that goes beyond what the product is, if that makes sense. Besides that, besides looking at what the main problem is that people are talking about, what I'll try and do is connect it through a story so that the problems that they're experiencing – the, the product that we're offering seems to fit those problems exactly. So it's really not about finding the right problem. It's about taking the problems that they have, no matter what they are, and figuring out the way to connect it to the product so the product feels like a solution. Okay. So I'm, I'm not really selecting a problem so much as I'm figuring out how to make what they're complaining about fit. And a lot of that has to do with uh, – you know, storytelling, just being able to tell a story and walk people from point A to point B. And uh, it's actually really easy. One of the tricks that I use, and this works in any niche, is uh, if you're familiar with uh, what a straw man argument is, it's commonly used in, in political discussion and debate. And what it is, if you can't argue against your opponent's point, you make up something that's not necessarily true. Like you sort of misunderstand what they said and turn it into a boogeyman and then you attack that. So like they can't really defend against it because that's not what they said, but it sounds like you're defending against it. You just turned it into something else and you're arguing against that. Mm -hmm. So in a sort of similar way, what you can do with these problems is if I know you're having a problem with your internet marketing, right? You're, you're just for the sake of example, that's the niche I usually work in. I I know you are uh, employed and you do the internet marketing thing on on the side, but you wish it was making enough for you to quit your job, right? Mm -hmm. That's sort of the presumption I have based on looking in forums and looking at what the people who are 
we're talking about this, where they are in their life. So I take that problem, that specific problem, because that's, I mean, all this PDF you might buy is going to do is teach you, you know, say how to use Facebook, for example. I'll look at the problem that you have about Internet marketing, and I'll think of the ripples that it has, like a, a rock tossed into a pond. It makes these ripples that touch all these other aspects of your life. So your problem with Internet marketing is amplified when you're in your car driving to work, when you're sitting in your cubicle that you hate in this terrible fluorescent lighting, when you have to talk to your uh, crappy manager who has bad breath and he leans in too close. You know, all of these little fictional things that it affects. It, it affects, like, if, you, if you're stuck in traffic to drive to and from work, it puts you in a bad mood when you get home. Maybe you take it out on your wife or your kids or your dog. Um, maybe you can't sleep at night. Uh, you know, there, there are all these these ripples where it touches these other parts of your life that isn't specifically when you're at the computer making your web pages or whatever, right? So by by extrapolating the problem and talking about all those other things, it's very easy to make them feel like whatever problem, uh, whatever product you have feels like a solution to that, because you basically sort of paint the picture that everything that's going on going wrong in their life is attached to this one problem. So it's sort of, I don't know, it makes. It makes a product that only has one particular solution for one particular problem all of a sudden seem like a Swiss Army knife because it's going to have this positive ripple effect and fix all those other problems. Um, so anyway, that's a trick that I use. Hopefully I explain that well. Do you have any tips for weaving a story into copy? Is it a difficult thing to do? Does it have all of the normal things that a story would have, like characters, heroes and villains, etc., etc.? Yeah, pretty much. What I try to do uh, just to keep things simple and because uh, I I am a creative person, but when you're doing this kind of work, you can't rely on your creativity because you're not making art here. You're making a, a product. Mm -hmm. So I have uh, deadlines to hit. So what I do is I have formulas that I know will work just as a basic structure. Okay. And then within that, if I have the time and I get the inspiration, maybe I'll get an excellent idea. But even if I don't, I'll have something good and workable because I know the structure works. So with that being said, the structure of a story that I use that I come back to over and over again um, is uh, it's you can sort of think of it like a superhero story, right? So the person who made this product is – the superhero, right? And they have their superpowers, which is the benefits that this product delivers. And they have their origin story, which is how I came to be the person who has these powers. Mm -hmm. And the way you want to set that story up is you, you open the letter with your authority, which is, hey, I'm an expert at this. That's why you should be listening to me. But I didn't used to be. I used to be more like you. Here's what it used to be like when I was like you, and then you sort of describe their problem to them. And then you shift and say, you know, but then something happened. It was just a lucky break. I don't know. Just happenstance. I figured this stuff out. I made this leap to where I'm, you know, an expert at this now. But here's why I've come back to help you with it. And that basic story structure there does a few really beneficial things. And then you segue into your product, whatever that product may be. Um, but you can see how it's, it's the points of the story are relative. So 
I can do two different products for the same person and the story of how I used to not be an expert at this particular thing and what happened to make me an expert in this particular thing will change each time, right? Mm -hmm. So when I'm trying to set myself up as an authority about copywriting and I want to tell you how I got from there not being one to here being one now, the story is different than if I was going to you know, tell you a story about, hey, here's how I built up a Facebook group to 1,300 members in six months, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the beginning and end point would be different even though I'm the same person. You just it, what the, the art is in picking the starting point and the ending point so that people can read it and see, okay, well, I want to make that journey because that's what it's about. You're really selling them a transformation, a journey. They don't necessarily want the result. They want to be the kind of person who can get that result. Is it important that we tell this story in first person or does that not really matter? Um, I always try to make a sales letter written from an identifiable first person source. So it's usually in, in the, the niches that I work in. The person writing the letter is usually the creator of the product. Mm-hmm. It doesn't necessarily have to be. Um, but I still think, especially on the internet, you want a first person voice, a uh, persona, a spokesperson that's sort of who your prospect is, is talking to. Yeah. Because even though it's a static page on the web, if you have a little bit of video in there, if you have comments, if you have the, a, a sort of community where you interact with your audience, there should be someone there so that they feel like they're talking to a person, not not an entity, not an us, but a me, okay. so that you can say things like, I know you'll love this, because that makes sense if you're talking to a person. But if you say, we know you'll love this, that's just a little weird and impersonal, because yeah. I, I don't know who we is. You know, Is it 50 people? Is it 100? Are they you know, men, women, a mixture, children? You know, I don't know anything about a we. Mm-hmm. But if you show me a picture of a person, and I see them on video, and I hear them talking, it's more direct, right? And all, all copy is a salesmanship in print. Mm-hmm. And when you're in a face-to-face selling situation, it's not a we. It's a me, right? There's only one salesman. They don't come at you as a group yeah. to sell you. It's a one-on-one thing because it makes people comfortable. So I try to write to simulate that as if I am one person talking to just one person, and then I'll write the letter from that point of view. Okay. So, yeah, I, I think even if you don't have an identity where you're like, you know, hi, my name's Joey Bushnell mm-hmm. or hi, my name is Colin Terry, even if there's not a singular identity, yeah. you still want to write as if it's one person speaking to one person. Okay. How do we show that our solution is the best solution available? And I mean in comparison to other products out there on the market, other solutions that fix the same problem but in a different way. How do we convince them that we are the ones who have the answer for them? What I like to do is uh, basically a lot of people make the mistake where they don't want to talk about competitors because uh-huh. they feel like their customer will just you know leave and go check out the competitor. What you really want to do is take your product, right? Everybody knows you take your product and you look for the features and then you figure out the benefit that that feature provides, and that's how you sell your product, right? So what I recommend is you – you take that feature and that benefit and you take it a step further and you figure out why it's an advantage. What unique advantage does that particular feature and benefit give you, right? 
And then you want to look for the, the features that your product has that are unique, meaning no other product like yours has that one feature. And it could be anything. It could be the fact that the person who wrote it is a best-selling author. It could be, you know, it's got one little technical feature that the other ones don't have that it doesn't matter if it's insignificant. All that matters is that it's unique because once you describe it to someone, the product that doesn't have that feature will be lacking, even if it's an insignificant feature, right? Like it could be the dumbest thing in the world. It could be like a coin pocket in some blue jeans, right? That little tiny pocket that's just sort of inside the other pocket. Yeah. I always wondered what that was for. I looked it up. Apparently, you're supposed to keep loose change in that tiny pocket. I don't even carry cash, much less use. It's things to where, like, you know, if someone described that to me as a feature as, as being beneficial, I would look at other jeans that don't have it as being lesser, even though I will never use that particular feature. And it, it sounds dumb maybe in that example, but you see tons and tons of that kind of thing uh, uh, every day. Uh, you'll, you'll see it in, in mainstream marketing on TV commercials. Yeah. So – that's one flip side of it, and if you want to amplify it even more, you look at your competitors' products, and you don't have to name them by name, but what you do is you you do the same sort of exercise on their product, but you do the negative side of it as opposed to the positive side. So when you look at your product and you look at features, advantages, and benefits, you look at competing products, and what you're looking for are flaws, disadvantages, and detriments, right? Like, like what is the negative result of using this product? What disadvantage does it leave you at compared to people using your solution? What are the, the flaws in the product that your product doesn't have? So you don't name those products by name, but you use those points in your copy, especially when you're telling that story, like I mentioned, where you say, here's what it was like when I was in your position, right? So you describe that from uh, – that perspective, here are the problems I had, here are the flaws in the products that I bought, here's the, the detriments that I suffered, these are the disadvantages I felt I was suffering from. By doing it that way, and then you describe your product, first, it feels like your product is a perfect fit for their problem, but second, if they leave your letter and go look at the competing solutions, all they're going to see are all those flaws that you pointed out. They can't not see them once you've pointed them out. So now all of a sudden, your product seems like the leader because it has all these good things that you have to have, mm-hmm. and it doesn't have any of these bad things that the other products have. And uh, I'll tell you a quick story. I learned that tactic from shopping for a mattress. Uh, there's a place here in Atlanta where I live uh, called Furniture Alley, and it's a bunch of furniture stores all in a row. Uh, it's just sort of where they sort of collect it. So – if you want to buy a mattress, there are like five mattress stores in a row all competing with each other. Mm-hmm. So we went to the first one. It's, it's weird because it's on a one-way street. So if you want to go to them all, you have you just start at the beginning and you work your way down. So we went to the first one. The guy behind the counter is just sitting there reading a magazine. says, you know, look around. Let me know when you're ready and you have questions. So we found something we liked. We talked to him. He told us all about it. We said, okay, well, you know the deal. You're the first one in the line, so we're – going to go down the street. If you have the best deal, we'll come back. He said, cool, let me just give you a little bit of advice. You notice that I didn't bug you. It's because I don't work on commission. I get paid a salary. So I'm not going to bother you. If you want to buy a mattress, buy it from me. 
If not, okay, I still get paid either way. But the guys down the street are all pure commission. So it's all very young guys, and they're all competing with each other. Even in the same store, they'll fight who gets to talk to you first. Mm-hmm. And they'll they'll lie to you about which mattress they that you want to get because they get a better commission depending on which one they sell. If they have uh, inventory they have to get rid of, they'll try and push that on you. So he's telling me all of these flaws and disadvantages and detriments that I'm going to suffer if I go down the road. I didn't realize it, but that's what he was doing. So we leave. We go to the very first mattress shop after his, and it's full of 19-year-old salespeople tripping over each other to get in our face. The very first guy is like, well, that mattress is good, but check out this one instead. Like everything the guy said came true. Yeah. So that was the last mattress store we went to. We turned back around and went right back to the first one, even though there were six or seven more in a row because I just didn't want to waste my time. Mm-hmm. So – I learned how to apply that trick to copy because what he did worked. All he did was describe in a general way what my experience was going to be like, and all it took was one little bit of that to come true, and I came running right back to him. Brilliant. A great example. Colin, I've heard you refer to something called the monkey brain. What is that, and how does that help us in copywriting? Um, it's, you know, it's funny you say that because that, that's sort of uh, when I teach this stuff and I talk about it, I'm constantly trying to come up with better ways to explain it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's one thing to understand it and have a grasp of it, but some of this stuff can be hard to explain to people. So the monkey brain part, the, the thing to remember about people is that we're evolved from apes. So at some level in our brain, and if you think of it as computer code, the, the core code down at the very lowest level that, that is not human, it doesn't think, it doesn't apply logic, it's just an animal brain, There's that part of the brain actually drives most people's behavior. And they don't, they don't think it does, yeah. but act, they think they apply logic and act rationally, and they think, you know, when... When an option comes up to make a choice, they think, well, I weigh both options and I apply a logic and I pick one. That makes the most sense. But what actually happens is the monkey decides on very subconscious sort of cues. And then what happens is the monkey brain decides so fast that the logical part of your brain makes up justifications after the fact to explain why you chose that option. And then you accept that because, you know, it makes sense to your logical part of the brain. Mm-hmm. But what's really happening is your logical part is just making excuses for what the monkey brain wanted to do. Okay. Um, you'll see this a lot in the kind of people that complain about having drama in their lives. Uh-huh. And it's because they let the monkey drive, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> they, oh, uh, you know, I, I don't know why I cheated on my uh, significant other. I don't know, it's just I, I was out of control. And it's not that they were out of control, they just let the animal take over, and then later on, mm-hmm. unable to provide a logical explanation for why they did what they did. But that's really what happened, is they let, they let the animal side come out. So when you're talking about the monkey brain, like I said, it, it's not human, so it's bad at making decisions, it's bad at math, doesn't know how to compare numbers, <laughs> it's... It knows I'm attracted to this, I want to move toward it, or I'm repelled by this, I want to move away from it. That's pretty much only two switches it has. Uh-huh. It's one of the reasons that, you know, uh, that, that saying that sex sells, mm-hmm. that's 
by it because no matter who you are, that monkey part of your mind wants to reproduce. It has a desire to do that. So if you make something sexy, you're drawn to it automatically. The same way as, you know, making your competitors seem gross and unsexy and undesirable, like the famous Macintosh ads with the Mac guy and the PC guy. They say nothing really about the machines, but the Mac guy is so repellent and rude and a jerk and he dresses badly that you just, you're repelled by him. And that's the trick of that ad. You don't, you don't really think of the Mac guy as being cool. You don't want to be like him. You barely know anything about him, but the other guy's such a jerk. You don't want to be like him. It's it's a repellent advertising. So the way to, to learn how that monkey mind works is to research things like logical fallacies or cognitive biases, um, which are things in psychology and philosophy that that are weaknesses. Like it's 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 ways that scientists have figured out that people are consistently bad at making certain kinds of decisions. Like ice anchoring would be a good example. If I say to you, hey, you should buy this, it costs $5, you have no point of reference. Mm-hmm. I say to you, here's where information that's in this product has sold for $50, but you can get it for only 5 Now, all of a sudden, it feels like a deal that's too good to pass up, even though it's the exact same information for the exact same price. Mm-hmm. Say $50 first, $5 seems cheaper, Yeah. even though, you know, if I'd said – you know, this used to be two bucks, but we raised the price to five because the demand was so high. That actually would turn people off, even mm-hmm. though, again, the exact same product for the exact same price. It just depends on which way you anchor it. And again, that's because the monkey brain is bad at making decisions. It doesn't, it doesn't stop to think that the previous price has no bearing on this offer. But when you bring that in, the, the monkey brain can't ignore it unless you have someone who's very Vulcan Spock-like in their logic <laughs> application, they're usually going to let their bad decision-making brain, you know, go go to work and, and let it take over, which is what we want. Now, mind you, I only write copy and recommend uh, review copy for people who have good products. Mm-hmm. But the stuff works even if the product is crappy. Um, so I, I would say, you know, Use this with caution. Try and try and put uh, good things out in the world instead of bad. But it, it, this is the same tools that these are the same tools that people use to rip off other people, basically, because it works. Yeah. The monkey brain weak. Anybody can tap into it. It's how cult leaders get followers. It's how con artists trick people. It's how frauds operate. All because it's easy to trick this monkey brain because it's fooled by appearances. So we use these powers for good. I, that's what I would recommend. Yes, agreed. My next question is, do you have any tips for creating high-quality pre-selling content? I know that this is something you teach, the idea of pre-selling content. So what is it, and do you have any tips for us? Sure. Uh, one of these these uh, old chestnuts you see a lot in Internet marketing, um, selling information over the Internet in particular, is people talk a lot about this balance of content to promotion, right? You have, you have to have a certain percentage of free content to keep people interested and happy and only a certain percentage of commercials because they don't like commercials. I see that as being totally false. It's using a false comparison to modern television mm-hmm. 
which is, you know, 60-70% show to 30-20% to advertisements, which are compartmentalized, right? Mm-hmm. But you actually see a lot more product placement happening where they actually just put the products in the show itself. Mm-hmm. But what people don't realize is that at the beginning of television, product placement was the only kind of advertising, right? Soap operas existed because the characters in the show would use detergent during the show, and that was part of the plot. Mm-hmm. And the was for housewives sitting at home listening to the radio all day, you were selling them detergent by working it into the story you tricked them into listening to by, you know, just people are engaged by stories. So the the idea there for me is that the only reason people feel this resistance to promotion versus content is because you've conditioned them to when they come on board your list. So to me, the solution is if you don't want them to resist your promotions, don't create a pattern that's good free content, good free content, good free content promotion, right? Then it stands out, and that's not what they wanted if they came on board for the free content. However, if all of your content is based around pre-selling, which I'll I'll explain what that is, Everything you do, even if it's quote-unquote free content, is actually setting them up to buy something down the line. So what it means is they begin to not be able to tell the difference between what is quote-unquote content or what is quote-unquote a promotion because they feel the same as far as giving them. So you, you see how that's beneficial because it doesn't, it doesn't make the promotion stand out. There's no way for them to get mad at it. Because it feels just like everything else you send them. So how do you do that? The way I recommend and teach people to do that is uh, going back to the previous part of the conversation. While you're writing your sales material, you get this whole list of problems that your product solves. What you want to do is take that list of problems, and that's the content that you want to build your free content around. That's the, the topics. So if you sell SEO software the topics that you would want to talk about are here's how most people get SEO wrong. Here are five mistakes people make when getting backlinks. Here are ten problems to look out for when you hire outsourcers to do SEO for you. Things like that, right? Mm -hmm. Just taking the problems that there are in your niche and amplifying them, educating people about the problems, detail, making them more solid, and what you're doing, you can sort of think of it as, as people who are in your niche that either have these problems and are avoiding them because they're painful and they don't like to deal with it, or haven't experienced these problems so they're not fully educated on it. Either way, they see these problems as blurry as a way to think of it. Mm-hmm. And what you're doing by educating them about these problems is bringing them into focus. And again, what, what this does to that monkey brain is – when it feels like it has a problem, it goes on alert looking for a solution, even though you don't consciously think that you do start giving it a little bit of brain power to where if a solution comes across your way, it's going to stick out because you had that problem in the back of your mind. So that's the mechanism that makes this work. So when you're out there telling people about problems, 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 then your offer comes along, it's a solution. They want to jump all over. So instead of going content, 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 promo, 
which makes them irritated because nobody likes to be sold to. Now the pattern is problem, 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 solution. So your promos stand out, but they are what provides relief instead of an interruption to what they really want. It is the solution to the problems they've been reading about. So when you do it right, when it works really well, you don't even have to sell because you've been doing the selling all along. You'll you'll just say, hey, check this out, and they'll say, wow, this product, like, this is really hitting the checklist of all the problems that I have with this particular topic. This feels perfect. I'm going to get it. But they don't they don't have the ability to make the connection that you're the one who gave them that problem description. They don't connect it because for whatever reason, if I'm warning you about danger to avoid, that feels altruistic to you. It doesn't feel like I'm selling you on anything. So you accept it, you internalize it, and you just it to you it becomes fact. It doesn't it's no longer this thing Colin told me about. It's fact. You don't have to vet it. And then once you internalize it, when I show you the solution, you remember all those problems as if they're yours. So you naturally want the product because you've adopted those problems. You forget that I taught them to you. Um, and that's what creates that, that need for the product before you even promote it to them. So this pre-sale content can be in the form of blog posts, videos. Is that the delivery method for this pre-sale content? Yeah, it can be um, videos or, or blog posts or emails or just any forum posts, anything that you put out there that mm-hmm. isn't directly taught excuse me, isn't directly tied to a buy button is the stuff we're talking about. My final question is, if you could give one piece of advice to a newbie copywriter, someone who's just getting into all this stuff, what would that be? I would say um, the thing to be aware of is that copywriting, people make the mistake of focusing on the writing part. And people have this idea of what writing is, that it's mental work, that it's thinking, that it's creative, that it's these ideas you need to have, that I'd be inspired and all of this kind of thing. When really what copywriting is, the discipline that you want to learn is selling. Once you're good at selling, all you have to do is capture that in writing. So it's not writing in the same way that you think of a novelist or a poet or anything like that. Beyond that, uh, it's not a mental exercise. It's a physical discipline. It's work. It's manual labor. It doesn't seem like it, but sitting there and typing 15, 20, 30 pages in a sales letter for like a $3,000 product, that's work. And the only way to get good at it is to practice. It's like a sport. You can't gymnastics or baseball or anything like that by reading a book. You, You can learn about some ideas and some theories to try, but unless you actually physically do it and do it with with uh, regularity, you aren't going to be good at it, right? It's yeah. a physical discipline. So for anyone who wants to get better at writing copy, the only way to get actually better is to write and not just write, but actually write and show it to people and see how they convert. Ask them about it. How did it make them feel? Get better at doing that, but you only can get better through practice. It's a physical discipline. Um, and I think most people don't realize that about writing is that it, it's, it's manual labor. You're building something. You're making something. Absolutely. Colin, thank you. Where can we get more information and content from you? Do you have a website or any social media groups where we can connect with you? Sure. Um, 
I have a blog at colinterio.com, but I'm not very good at updating it because I'm not a blogger. The main place I hang out and put most of my focus is a Facebook group that I have called The Cult of Copy. Okay. And if you like any of the sort of devious, uh, dark arts kind of persuasion and manipulation stuff, some of the stuff I kind of hinted at that you said you were interested in, that's sort of what I discussed there. It originally started out as just being a bunch of colleagues and peers and clients. I sort of opened it up to the public, and it, it's become really good for people posting articles about writing, posting their own insights, advice. I post a lot of stuff there. I uh, post a lot of training there. Um, so you can either, if you're already in Facebook, you can uh, just search for Cult of Copy, and you'll find it. Or uh, I made a shortcut URL that goes straight to the Facebook sign-up page, and it's uh, cultofcopy.com. So if you were interested in learning more from Colin, the Cult of Copy Facebook group is the place to go. If someone wants to get in contact with you, Colin, does your website have the information to get in touch with you there? Yeah. The, I'm, like I said, because of the Facebook group, I'm mostly on Facebook. It's what I look at the most, but I'm also on Skype. You can find me on my website. Basically, I have a, a really unique name with the Irish first name and the Cajun last name. Search <laughs> You find me, and it's it's a Colin Terrio who is associated in some way with the internet. It's probably me. You're like 99% sure it's me, and I'll get I'll get to it eventually. But if you want me to look at it right away, Facebook's probably the best way to get at me. Awesome. That's the end of today's episode, folks. Thank you for tuning in, Colin. Thank you. This has been great. I really appreciate you coming on the show. Thank you. I appreciate it. The online marketing show every day with Joseph Bushnell. Helping you to grow your online business by driving more traffic, improving conversion rates, increasing customer value, and getting things done fast. Listen, take action, make money.